We've been in a series entitled Last Words. Last Words. Last Words are very important of anybody. I remember the last words of my mother before she went to heaven eight years ago. We clung to those words, man, as she has prayed over our family, clung to those words. Well, Jesus says some last words, and he's on a cross when he's doing it. And these last words are divided into seven statements we've been taking a look at for several weeks now. And we've looked at a lot of them. Like for the first one, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can we be really honest? If I'm hanging on a tree, probably the last thing I'm saying is forgive the people who did this to me. Can we be really honest? If you, if you are God and you have the power, tell the truth. Would you be sending lightning bolts dead? Dead, dead, everybody dead. Like, I'd be mad at everybody. Jesus showed us how on a, how to live through a bad day, his worst day, turn around and still offer forgiveness to people who weren't saying, I'm sorry. That was a very interesting, very heavy, but freeing first week in this series. And then we've talked about the other statements. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He said that to a thief on the cross who didn't deserve it. But God gave him grace. And then he looks at Mary, his mom, and says, Mama, behold your son. Talks to his friend John. John, behold your mom. And he loves pairing people together. And we talked about that. And a couple weeks ago, we had Lane preach a message entitled, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And really, this has been a series on how to live through a bad day. Jack Hayford, who is an incredible man, he, he spoke here about four or five years ago. And he wrote a book called How to Live Through a Bad Day taking the seven last statements of Jesus on the cross and using them to help us. So Hodges, Chris Hodges has done a series on this, and this series will take us all the way up to Easter. Easter's three weeks away, everybody. Three weeks away, eight services. We're going to be planning for that, praying for that, and it's going to be the biggest uh, weekend we've ever had in the history of our church, and it's going to be a lot of excitement about that. But today I want to talk to you about the fifth statement Jesus made. Now, before we get in, let's look at our theme verse, Hebrews chapter 12. We read this in the NIV translation. Let me read it in the message paraphrase. The writer says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who, by the way, how many know that's a good place to start already? Just keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Say finish. finish. Say start. start. Say finish. finish. It's not enough just to start a race. You got to finish. Okay, look at me, everybody. I'm praying you finish strong. That he started the race, didn't just start it, he also finished it. And then it says, study how he did it. That's what we're doing over the next few weeks in, in this series. We're studying how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, it didn't matter what you, what you threw at Jesus. He was able to handle it. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, in other words, you feel like life's too hard. You feel like you don't think you could take it any longer. You're waving the surrender flag. Think about what Jesus went through. Go back that, over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility that he plowed through, and that'll shoot adrenaline into your souls. Today, this message is entitled, I'm Thirsty, and I want to dedicate this message to everybody who's going through a dry season spiritually. First of all, let me let you know, you are not alone. We've all been there. Can I hear a good amen? amen? Every single one of us has been there. And here's a second statement. You're not going to stay there. You're coming out in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. 
Thank you, God, so much for our time together. I pray over the next few moments that we have together that you'd speak hope and healing and life into us. And uh, Lord, for everybody who's going through a dry season, I thank you that we're not going to stay there. We're coming out, and you're the, one, you're the one who refreshes our soul. We love you. In Jesus' name, somebody shout a good amen. amen. I want you to think back for a moment to the, the moment when you were the thirstiest in life. Think about like that summer day, you were outside playing sports, or you're working really hard, and you, you're so thirsty, you would have paid $50 for a glass of ice cold water. Think about it. You got it in your head? Okay, now think about this. Have you ever been sleeping, and like the heater's on, or you're sick or something? You're sleeping, and you, you're awakened, and you try to, to sit up, but there's zero saliva in your mouth. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just gross. Like, there's, there's zero saliva. You try to talk. There's no way you're talking. There's no saliva. It's so dry. You almost forget how to swallow. You're like, <sighs> your tongue is sticking to the roof of your mouth. That happened to me in college. I'm in college, and I'm sharing a room with my friend, and uh, he's from Illinois. And I'm there, and the heater was on way too hot in the dead of winter in Ohio. And the heater's on too, too much. I'm a little sick. I wake up, and really, there's zero saliva in my mouth. I can't talk. I can't swallow. I can't, my tongue is sticking to the roof of my mouth. And I will admit that when you first wake up, things are more exaggerated and more intense. Would we all agree with that? Like, you wake up, noises are, are super loud. When it's not that loud, you're super irritated. So all of this is taking place. I stumble over to the mini fridge, which is all we had in our dormitory, and I open up the fridge to get a beverage only to realize that my roommate, who is soundly asleep, by the way, he drank all of my juice. Now, I've never thought about stabbing him in the neck while he's asleep with a number two pencil before. But I have to admit, at that moment, I did. That's not a very Christian thing to do. But I wasn't responsible for what I did because you first wake up. You know, it's like the first 10 minutes, you're not responsible for what you say when you first wake up. You guys agree with that? Until you've had your coffee. <laughs> so I'm there, and I'm so thirsty. Like, I can't, I'm frantically looking for a beverage. My eyes are scanning the fridge. They're now scanning the room. Any beverage will do. And finally, my eyes make it to the only beverage liquid in the entire room. Pancake syrup. <laughs> like, that's all I got. That's all I got to work with. I'm looking around, and I look at that, and I think to myself how desperate I am. And then immediately I grab that pancake syrup bottle, I hoist it above my head, and I start pouring it down like it's Gatorade after the big game. You know, I'm just gluck, 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 anything to get the juices flowing again. What's the lesson here? I think the clear lesson is to put laxative in your juice so that when your roommate steals it, he has to pay. That's not, again, that's not, again, a good Christian thing to say, but I was so thirsty. And I've heard it said that scientists have even gone on record to state that thirst is one of the most agonizing pains in the body. There's wounds, there's pains, there's cuts, there's pinched nerves. But when you're thirsty, I'm talking about dehydrated type of thirsty. Every cell in your body is fighting for relief. Everything, and the, the longer it goes, the worse it gets. You, did you know this? Your body can go 46 to 73 days without food. Some of you are like, now nah, I know he's lying because I missed breakfast and I'm about to eat my connection card. <laughs> it's true. Your body can go up to 73 days without food. Watch this. It can only go three to five days without water. 
Only three to five days without water before someone literally dies. So dehydration is a real thing. Thirst is a real pain. We have an eyewitness account, not somebody who heard this, somebody who was there underneath the cross while Jesus is dying, recording all of this word for word. His name is John. And Jesus is hanging on the cross, but remember, he's been through an incredible day. It is the worst day of his life. And even in his worst day, Jesus, through the seven statements, musters enough strength to teach us some life lessons. Jesus has been betrayed by his closest friends. He has gone through illegal trials all night long, which, by the way, it was illegal to have a trial at night, both in Jewish and Roman law, but they, they threw the law out the window to try to catch Jesus. So they try, they're trying to get something on Jesus, but he's not some dirty politician. He's clean. There's nothing that you can find on him. And they couldn't, they couldn't, that's, that's why he had so many trials, because they couldn't find anything wrong with him. Even Pilate was like, man, there's nothing. He hadn't done anything wrong. Why did they kill him then? Because he claimed to be God. That was the only reason they killed Jesus. Make, make no mistake about it. Couldn't find any sin in him, any wrongdoing in him. He was perfect in every way. And then, after the illegal trials and the betrayal, he's beaten, he's whipped, he's flogged, and all of this blood loss, all of this going on. Then he's nailed to a tree where he would hang for six hours. It's now about three o'clock in the afternoon. And in this moment, I want you to think about the blood loss, think about the exhaustion, the nerve damage, all of what's going on, the dehydration. And in John chapter 19, verse 28, he says his fifth statement. Watch this. Knowing that everything had now been finished. In other words, he'd done everything necessary to pay for our sin. He'd fulfilled everything. Now watch this next statement. This is interesting. And so that scripture would be fulfilled. Mark that. We'll come back to that in a moment. So that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus cried out, I am thirsty. Now in context, you have to understand this is not some delicate, polite way of asking for a cold drink of water. This is out of sheer agony and pain that Jesus, he's enduring this intense suffering, which by the way, he did not deserve, but he did it willingly because he knew that paying for our sin would result in our freedom. Come on, is there anybody in the room that's grateful that God loved us that much to take our place? So here's Jesus. He's screaming out, I'm thirsty. And he's, he's now able to empathize with the feelings of our infirmity. Hebrews chapter 4 says in verse 15, Now that we know that we have Jesus, this great high priest, who has given us direct access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. Meaning, we don't have some God that's like up in heaven who's distant from his creation where we can shake our fist at God and be like, you don't know what we're going through down here. Even if Jesus didn't come to earth, he would still know because he's all-knowing. But so that we would know, God became flesh, dwelt among us, John 14 says, and I'm, or John 1 says, and I'm telling you, it's in this moment that now, we, now he is able to relate to us and we are now able to see that he went through everything that we went through, weakness, testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. He never sinned. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is ready to give. That's mercy and take the help that he's given us. We don't have a God who is not sympathetic or empathetic to our needs. We have a great high priest, Jesus, who went through it all. 
You might also find this interesting that Jesus even saying those words, I thirst, was actually a fulfillment of prophecy in Scripture that was prophesied about the Messiah hundreds of years before Jesus was born. You say, well, why is that important? Well, before I tell you why it's important, let me show you a couple of the places where it was stated. Because there were about 300, over 300 prophecies about what the Messiah would do and what he would say, all these things. And Jesus fulfilled not one, every one of them. Psalm chapter 69 puts it this way. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar from my thirst. But if you read on in John chapter 19, that's exactly what they did. Jesus is dying on a cross, so thirsty, so dehydrated, and they take a sponge, dip it in vinegar, hoist it up on a stick and say, here, have this. The torture, the agony that he went through. The next verse, Psalm 22, verse 15, my mouth is dried up and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Listen, one of the strongest evidences that Jesus can do what he promised in your life is that he fulfilled what the word of God said about him. Listen to me, everybody. So committed to seeing the word of God fulfilled that in the pain and the agony of this day, he stopped all of what was going on just to utter those words, I thirst in order to fulfill the prophecy that was spoken so the word of God would be fulfilled. You have no idea how committed Jesus Christ is to seeing the word of God fulfilled in your life. I'm telling you, it's the smallest detail. He will stop everything. I don't care how long it's been. I don't care how bad it looks. Jesus Christ, if he said something over your life, he will do it down to the smallest detail. Can I hear a good amen? But let's go deeper. Let's take it a step further. Let's talk about the truth of substitution, of what that means for us. Because the word substitute means somebody serving in, in, our, in someone else's place. So Jesus died as a substitute for us. The Bible says this, for the wages of sin is death. Meaning, if we sin, we should pay the paycheck of death. Jesus said, I'll take the payment. I'll be your substitute. So here's Jesus on a cross. He dies in our place. And in John chapter 12, he says this. This is hard for me to even picture. John chapter 12, my soul is troubled. My soul is troubled. This is Jesus. He's God in flesh. And he has his soul troubled? Is that even possible? He said, my soul is troubled. Then he prays, Father, shall I pray, save me from this hour? And he says, absolutely not. That's the reason I came. Two chapters later, he would look at the ones who were following him and says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Look at me. Look at me, everybody. Look at me. It's very clear. The point is very clear. Jesus had his heart troubled so that yours wouldn't have to be. And the same thing is true that Jesus went through thirst so that you don't have to be. Your soul doesn't have to be thirsty. Jesus Christ went through all of this as a substitute to pay for our sin. Is anybody getting this? So that now our soul does not have to be thirsty in him. All of our souls thirst at one point in our life. It speaks of a lack. There's a lack there. We lack something. We need something. We thirst for something. And it's so interesting if you study dehydration physically, how, how there's so many similarities to a, a thirsty soul. David is crying out. By the way, if you're thirsty 
in your soul, you're like, man, I've been looking for, for something to fulfill my life. You're not alone. David cried out in Psalm chapter 63. He cries out, God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek for you. I, what's the word? Come on, say it out loud. I thirst for you. I'm so thirsty. My whole being longs for you. I'm like, I'm in a dry and parched land where there's no water. So thirsty. There's, I'm pining for you, God, because I know that you're my source. It's interesting because there are several things that take place in a physical dehydration. And several things that take place with your thirsty soul. Write this down. Number one, what takes place if you talk to a doctor, there's a weakness that takes place when you are dehydrated. When there's a lack of water, when you're thirsty, the pain of that causes you weakness. It's a lack of strength. It's where you don't feel like you can make it. It's where you don't feel like you can move on. Sound familiar? It's what takes place in the thirsty soul. There's a weakness. I hate, I like, I work out. I know you can tell. You didn't have to laugh that hard. But I, I hate when you work out, you're like really consistent, and then you take like a month off, and then you go back to the gym. Why is it that all the weight, they change the weights? Why is everything so heavy? What you used to just be able to crank out, you're now like, help, smell me, bro, smell me. It's too heavy for you to carry. You, you've weakened. Here, the main reason is because you've been trying to lift it by yourself. And you were never meant to. You're supposed to give your life to God and let him carry you. We experience a weakness when we begin to have a thirsty soul. Not only weakness, write this down, there's confusion that takes place. You talk to any professional doctor or nurse, they'll tell you that sometimes dehydration, when it gets so bad, they, there's dizziness that takes place. There's confusion. That's why they'll ask you, what's your name, son? What's your name? What's your name? What day is it? They want to make sure that you have clarity. <clears throat> there's a confusion. Now, the same thing takes place with a thirsty soul. Because I've talked to plenty of people over the last 20 years of ministry, and I've, I've looked at them and I said, how did you get here? What's going on? And they say, I don't know. I'm just so confused right now. There's weakness. There's confusion. And then write this down. It's where you feel faint, where you feel like you're going to pass out, like you can't make it anymore. I wonder, is this starting to make sense to anybody in the room? You feel like you've experienced weakness. There's, there's fatigue there, not just fatigue, but confusion. And now you feel hopeless. You feel like there's no way that you can make it. And even to the point of dehydration makes someone feel sick on the inside. A lot of people go to the ER because there's, there's stomach issues, there's headaches, there's nausea, there's vomiting. All this is going on, and they say, man, there's something wrong, and it's just you're dehydrated. You just need to get hydrated again, and they walk out of there no problem. Well, what do we do, ladies and gentlemen, when we have a thirsty soul? We know what to do when we have a, a dehydrated body, but what do we do, where do we turn when our soul is thirsty? Because you remember when in my story in college, I was so thirsty and I was so desperate, I turned to pancake syrup as a remedy. Okay, look at me, everybody. When you're desperate in life, you will turn to something. And when you turn to something, you're expecting that to give you results. You're expecting that to give you a fulfillment and satisfaction, but it always leaves us empty. It would be like me running to the wrong things in life if I'm physically thirsty. It'd be like me running to these three cups. I have three cups up here. And it'd be like me running to this first cup 
And me looking at this, and by the way, this is flour, not cocaine. Just want to clarify, we're in California. Which, by the way, if you struggle with that, we have a small group for you. It's called Freedom Small Group. God wants you free. We love you, and you're still welcome here, all right? It would be like me coming and seeing this and me being so parched, so thirsty, and saying, oh, my, I'm just so thirsty. This looks amazing. Uh, this really looks bad now. Come to our church. You're going to love it here. It's great. <laughs> Did I get it all? It'd be like me saying, I'm so thirsty. What can help me? What's the remedy? This, this, this is a cup. It's filled with something. Let me try it. Can we all agree this would not quench my thirst? This would just leave me dry. It'd be like me racing over to this other glass. What we do so many times. Still got flour in my eyes. It's burning. It'd be like me racing over to this other cup and saying, oh my goodness, this glass of water. I'm so thirsty. I'm so thirsty. Finally, this is what's going to quench my thirst. And it looks the part. It has the form of refreshment, but it ain't water. It's vinegar. Me coming up and saying, I'm so thirsty. So... <laughs> Oh, the things I do for you. It burns all the way down. It'd be like me coming and saying, listen, I'm so thirsty. This is what's going to bring me refreshment. Obviously, it's not going to bring me refreshment. It's just only going to leave me bitter. Sometimes we run to other cups. There's a lot of cups in life, aren't there? A lot of cups on display, a lot of cups promising satisfaction and fulfillment, and we come to this cup and say, it's a cup, right? But it's empty. You're not going to get anything from it. And there's a lot of people in life, ladies and gentlemen, they've been searching cup after cup after cup after cup, and they've only been left dry, bitter, and empty. Dry, bitter, and empty. Can I tell you? The only place to turn for a thirsty soul, there's only one place. And it's not more money. It's not a bigger house. It's not more likes on social media. It's not more acceptance from friends. There is only one place to turn, and that is a solid and secure relationship with Jesus Christ, who in John chapter 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you an abundant life. Somebody shout, obey your thirst. That's what your soul is pining for. That's what your soul is longing for. Oh, God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul is thirsty. That's, that's what we need to remedy is how do we quench a thirsty soul? Because we're looking in a lot of wrong places. And we're not finding fulfillment. We're finding dryness, bitterness, and emptiness. And today I want to suggest to you that there is one other glass. Jesus Christ. This, it's interesting because the word thirst is found five times in the book of John and every time it's referring to spiritual thirst. Jesus rolls up into a village, into a town in John chapter 4. He rolls up and there's a well there. Now there's a lady there as well. She didn't come 
with everybody else in the morning or at nighttime when women would normally come to the well. She came at noonday, which lets us know she's probably had a bad reputation in that town. Because you don't come in the noonday, son. That's crazy. So Jesus rolls up, and he's so cool. He says, can I have a drink? And she's like, you don't even have a bucket. And Jesus is about to perform a sermon illustration for a party of one. He says to her, girl, (laughs) if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for a drink. And I'd give you living water. Somebody say living water. John chapter 4, Jesus told her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was asking you for a drink, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. Jesus answered verse 13, everyone who drinks from this well will be thirsty again. Everybody who drinks the H2O, the water from this well, will be thirsty again. Nothing can permanently satisfy. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He looks at her, and she looks at him, and she says, I perceive you're a prophet. Well, duh. Because <laughs> Jesus looks at her and says, why don't you go call your husband? And she's like, well, I don't have one. And he said, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> she was like... <laughs> You've been reading my Facebook? (laughs) Jesus said, there's been six men in your life who've let you down. Let me be the seventh one to change everything. In that moment, this woman's life was totally changed in a heartbeat. Matthew 5, 6 puts it this way. For those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. Who will be? They will be. Everybody's not getting filled, ladies and gentlemen. Only they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The question is not do you thirst because all of mankind has a thirst. We all thirst for fulfillment. We all thirst for forgiveness. Believe it or not, we all thirst for God. Even in nations around the world, here in America and around the world, in tribes and all around the uh, the entire nation and continent, there are people that are worshiping things because God has placed an innate desire to worship Him, but they got it confused. They're worshiping the creation instead of the creator. But the need is still there to, to worship. So there's a need. The question is not, do you thirst? We all do. The question on the table today is this. How long will you thirst? We've all thirst. We all have that. The question is, how long will you thirst? You can thirst for all eternity. Or you can place your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and never thirst again. Come on, if you believe that, let's clap our hands. I believe that Jesus wants us to know three things. Number one, first of all, we need to acknowledge our thirst. Acknowledge our thirst. 
This is important. Jesus acknowledged it in front of people. Don't try to hide your need for God. Like in a small group setting, our small groups that meet every week, if you're like, hey guys, I'm struggling, it's, that's perfect. This church is perfect for you. If you've overcome, great, this church is perfect for you. I think what I'm trying to say is this church is perfect for you no matter what. I'm thirsty! Great, hey, let's get this guy a drink. Because we've all been there. I remember a time I was, I was so thirsty one day. And this is back when I drank a lot of soda. I loved Coca-Cola. Um, I did a lot of Coke, I guess you could say. That's <laughs> not good. It's not, I shouldn't have said that. But the point, I don't drink soda now at all. That's, actually, I've had uh, four years sober. Of, I don't drink soda at all. It's like so, many, it's so much sugar in there, right? It's like 32 sugar cubes in every can of soda. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so I just drink water. But this one day, probably five, six years ago, I was so thirsty. I just kept pounding soda, soda, soda. And I was realizing something. I was drinking a beverage that was not quenching my thirst. It wasn't fixing the dilemma. I was just, I was just elongating it. And it wasn't until I put that soda down walked myself over to the fridge and got some cold ice water that my thirst was finally quenched. Okay, look at me, everybody. What is it in your life that you need to put down that you thought would promise you fulfillment and satisfaction, but it's still leaving you dry, bitter, and empty? And then number two, turn to Jesus. He is the only thirst quencher. He's the only one who can satisfy your thirst. So what is that going to be in your life? And then after Jesus does that in you, number three, write this down. Ask yourself, who else do I know who's thirsty? Who else do I know that's thirsty? Because what God did in you was not just for you. There's a city that you live in that needs to hear about the remedy to their thirsty soul. Let me show you this, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, this is the end of the story of the woman at the well. Then leaving her water pot. I love that phrase. She has a discourse with Jesus. She's convinced. She turns around and she leaves her water pot, what used to be her source, she leaves and says, that's no longer my source because I found the true source in Jesus. She walks away from her water jar, and the woman went back into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. And they came out. They came out of the town and made their way toward him, and revival sparked in a city because of one woman. Who else needs to hear about the thirst that has been quenched in your life? Who else is it in your life that you'd love to know, come to know God? Well, you have an opportunity here in three weeks. We have Easter Sunday service. On your chair, you got these cards. And on the back, it lists out the eight, car, eight services that we have for the weekend. We have a Good Friday service. We're going to have communion there. And then we'll do two Saturday night. 
five Sunday morning. And our dream team lives for this kind of stuff, man. It's so amazing that they're able to serve and make a difference in people's lives for eternity. But many of you have been waiting for a moment. Can I tell you, 80% of people, statistically speaking, 80% of people said they would come to church if they were just invited by somebody they knew. Do you know anybody? Do you know anybody who's thirsty? Bring them here, and we're going to preach a very simple message about Jesus and forgiveness. It's going to be amazing. All eight services, and let's see what would happen. You need to know the thrill of what it feels like to bring somebody who doesn't know God to church. Have them sit right by you. Experience the message, and at the end when I say, hey, guys, let's bow our heads, and if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, raise your hand. When that happens, I give you permission to peek. Because you brought your friend. And you, th- listen, you're going to peek. You're going to see him raise their hand. You will say that's your favorite service ever of the history of this church. Not because of the message or the worship, but because you now understand what this church is about. Hope and healing in your friend.